had a financial, large financial services uh, company we were working with. Um, they're they're in banking, they're in everything that you'd recognize the name right away. They their average their average time from idea to market, if it made it to market, was fourteen months. Whoa, that's a long time. Yeah, and that's if it made it to market. And so, what was interesting is when we started this kind of pilot team effort with them, we had a bunch of the people who were on the software development side, the tech side of things that had already had a lot of experience with safe. Okay. And so they were delivering, well, it was kind of strange. They had a, (laughs) they had a one month delivery, a one month sprint. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. A one month sprint with a, with like a five, week release cadence, which I was like, okay, so they line up what, like once every leap year on a Tuesday, how does that actually work? <laughs> but in any case, that really wasn't their big problem. The The big win from, from my perspective was that we convinced one of the pilot teams, let's try just as an experiment, let's go to one week sprint. And they, at first, you know, yeah. you know, all the argument, Chaos. no way, this is impossible. We'll never, you know, keep in mind, they're used to going they're used to one month sprint with a 14 month actually delivering, you know, from the idea from concept to delivery to market. And so we worked with them on kind of backlog refinement and slicing things down in a reasonable way and slicing things so that they weren't waiting on, okay, we, you know, why do you have to have every single design requirement laid out in front of you? Right. And, right. and in fact, we had a situation where they were paralyzed. They couldn't do anything because they said, well, we're waiting on the design architect to tell us whether we're going to use this specific API or that API. And we were like, okay, but why don't you take a chance now? 50-50 shot. It's only a choice of two things, right? Start building it now. Go for a week. If you don't have it, first of all, this inspires that person who you're waiting on to get you an answer because... If you guys go for three weeks, leadership is going to say, why did it take you three weeks to get these people answer? And they built the wrong, built it in the wrong platform that cost us money. That was waste. But also, why don't you just do anything now? And then if you're, if it, if he comes back and says, Hey, that's the wrong one, you go, okay, much easier to take this work we've done and translate it over. And if not, you're way ahead of the game. You got building and hey, guess what? You picked the right thing. Awesome. Let's go. So the the thing that was really cool is after the first week sprint, they actually delivered something. Was it, you know, you know, I don't know if you recall, we had a, a conversation with someone in the design and construction scrum master course that we both were in, that we both helped deliver. And there was a question of like, well, what do you mean I'm supposed to build the whole, deliver the whole building in a week? You know, <laughs> And one of the people in the class, uh, I won't say her name, but, uh, you yeah. know, very, very smart, you know, very smart woman in the field. She said, no, but could you deliver a staircase in a week? And they were like, oh, yeah, I guess so. So <laughs> <laughs> that question comes up every time. All the time, right? And every so, time. and so this team actually delivered something of value that worked that they could show in their review. Yep. Here's the thing. You hit this button. It does that. You hit that button. It does that. If you put in the wrong password, it doesn't take you to your account. They were able to show all this functionality. Um, and their kind of the, the project manager in their department was stunned. She was like, I have to tell you, I did not think this was going to work. I couldn't believe you could deliver something of value in a week, they were pretty surprised themselves. So that was kind of a big, like, you know, that was a good win. I was happy about that. That's an amazing, great win. Lucia, that, uh, that brings so much into perspective and like just creating some tension on the team, like you coming in as the coach and, and making a suggestion and then, and then listening to people's objections, right? A lot of times people will hear these objections and then they'll just like, well, I guess we can't do that. Yeah. Change is hard, right? Like, right. If change was easy, everyone would just automatically change and be better. <laughs> but but uh, it's it's a difficult thing. And especially if you're so used to, you know, this is the thing, right? I'm not a software developer. So I come in as this consultant and I tell all these people who have deep 
experience and knowledge in their world with their thing. And they say, no, 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 that can't be done. I say, okay, if I were to push on and say, yes, it can, right? Then we're just pushing against each other. We're digging in our heels over nothing. Instead, I prefer to start with that question. Like, would you be willing to try for one week, right? We're not going to get a month ahead of ourselves. We're just going to go for a week. This is an argument in favor of a shorter sprint, right? Let's learn immediately. If we did, if learn that it didn't work out, we're going to know in a week, right? And then we can do something more effective. And so kind of coming, coming from that place of curiosity, like help me to understand. And would you be willing to try? I think it's one of the most useful sentences there is. Welcome to the EBFC show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple collaborative ecosystem system. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French, and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, Scheduling Manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last planet. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refund My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refund My Site for free for 60 days. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show, Lucien Zoll. Lucien, we are brothers from a construction mother, both born and baptized and raised and surviving the construction industry all these years. You, my friend, have always been so helpful and it guided me to be the the YouTuber that my son just confirmed this weekend that I am. And so yeah, congratulations so on that. Yeah. Getting the, getting the nod from the child, I think was even more important oh, yeah. to me. That was a bigger win because a couple of years ago, he's like, no way, dad, no way. Well, but, you know, uh, when he's he's holding you to that Mr. Beast standard, right? Yes, so. <laughs> it is exactly. Still to this day, he checks my, well, what were your view count in the first two minutes? I was yeah. like, oh, that's a metric I'm not ready for yet. Right. right. I was <laughs> Listen, like, you're, you're, you're getting ready for that. You, you've been yeah. building it steadily. It's, it's amazing to see. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Lucien, please tell the good people of the EBFC show. Ladies and gentlemen, Lucien is a champion among champions. I have so much respect for him and he has definitely guided me. And while he's giving his introduction, feel free to exercise your fingers and hit that like button. And if you haven't subscribed to this show yet, Lucien and I are both thinking, why haven't you? Hit that Absolutely. subscribe button. <laughs> I know, I, 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 you know, full disclosure, I am a subscriber to the show yeah! for sure. So, well, thank you so much for happening, having me, Felipe. It's, uh, it's awesome to be on your show again. Um, you know, now this show is, is, uh, really starting to take off, which is really cool to see, um, a big fan of the show. And as you know, of yours, as, as someone who has, as a fellow agilist in, in construction, um, you know, this is, uh, have this kind of shared passion and it's, it's, uh, great to be. So for, for those who don't know me, and that's probably most, I'm Lucien Zoll. I am an Agile Transformation Consultant at Scrum Inc. and also a Scrum Trainer. Um, and so basically, I came to Scrum Inc. through a friend, um, Avi Schneier. And, uh, but I was previously, I had a 30-plus year um, career in design and construction. Um, I've worked both on the 
non-union and the union side. And I have a pretty clear understanding from that, that as a rule, whichever side you're on, if you don't make the boss money, you're not going to have a long future there. Um, so you terrible. have to find ways to be productive. Uh, and there is, as you know, a lot of waste in design and construction. Um, and so I think there are ways that it could be improved. And I, you know, one of the things that I've learned from working at Scrum Inc. is how not only can we improve the process, but we can improve people's day-to-day -day lives, right? There's the puppy. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no sorries. Um, I tell everybody, Lucian, this is a dog-friendly show. All right, all right. Like even And it will even allow, like, crackling parrots and other aviary type animals that's totally cool and if you have okay. like uh, animals that are getting into a fight with each other then we just need to turn the camera to watch the fight and make it part right. of the show no we've only got one animal so she's fighting with herself and she <laughs> likes to bark at air so uh, beautiful. <laughs> but uh in in any case um yeah so we spend probably 70 percent of our waking hours at work if we can improve how that time goes we've made a real impact on people's lives and this is the type of thing that gets me up in the morning excited to go yeah absolutely so that's now, that's basically me in a nutshell i i just need to know because you've been friends with avi for so long and avi's been on the show ladies and gentlemen definitely we'll put a link in the show notes to check out avi's episode he does have disclaimer he's got an amazing brooklyn accent that you might get lost in so if you if you're into accents absolutely is, well is you it, know does, is it brooklyn accent or is where oh, is it's he? no no it's brooklyn and i like to say that um I don't know anybody who is more Brooklyn than Avi. He's the most Brooklyn person I know. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's, 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 uh, he happens to be a deep knowledge and thought, you know, thought leader, knowledge expert in the space of scrum and agility, you know, the, the co-author and contributor to the scrum at scale guide. He's been doing this a long time. Uh, and he happens to be, uh, the, one of the most Brooklyn people I know, which makes him also incredibly entertaining. So, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never heard him speak and not been just enthralled yes, and because yes. of not just the way that he sounds, but what he says and can get away with. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, this translates to every facet of his life. Uh, Avi and I, the way we know each other is through traditional Chinese martial arts, um, where both used to be fellow competitors and now we are fellow judges um in a in a large circuit international circuit and as a judge he will say things that i would never say to our competitors and also he says those things and everybody loves him for it no one is like oh my god everyone's like ah he's amazing right <laughs> if i tried to say any of that stuff they'd be you know pitchforks and torches running me out of town so yeah. Or if they're really polite, just the gasping, like, <gasps> yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. So he's, he's got, he's got many talents. Uh, I need to know, like, since you guys both, uh, you said you were competitors at one point. Yes. Did you ever roll and like, uh, get any good so, taps on him, or did he ever tap you out? What was that? Cause I, yeah, I would so, think, I would think just based on knowing the two of you that I would default you to the stronger person. Oh, that's interesting. So, so Avi is, uh, so what I will say <laughs> is that <laughs> Avi is incredibly skilled and is very, very pragmatic in his the way that he approaches martial arts. He's not someone who buys into a lot of mysticism. He's like, either this works or it doesn't, much like his outlook on agile frameworks or anything else, right? He tends to be kind of no-nonsense, and he's been that way when he was a competitor, and now as a judge, he's the same, he is who he is. So, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure to know him all these years and, uh, and to work with him, whether it was, you know, during competition or as a judge, it's just as much fun. That was beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, that type of answer, Lucien is just making you use your imaginations to figure out like, did Avi ever get any good, like hits on him or any like pins? Now you're just gonna have to just keep imagining. And so I'll let my imagination run wild with that one. But I love that you had this uh, practice of martial arts for a long time. And that's actually how you ended up teaching me. Like I was your, your senpai in the early days of YouTube. My very first live stream, ladies and gentlemen, is Lucien teaching me the ways of the live stream and thinking about you, the audience, as we stream and what we talk about. And so the way you make me, I mean, you basically made me look like a magician. So I've got uh, some yeah. friends that, 
that look at what I do. And, and you were doing that through your martial arts. Like you had, uh, you're working in a, in a dojo and you were streaming for a long time. You still have videos yeah. that are kicking my, my video channels, but not like, so at all, speak. not at all. So, so, you know, the, the interesting thing is all of this comes out of a need to pivot, right? So we had a streaming program at our school um, and then COVID hit. And then we had, you know, we went from 300 students to zero in a space of four days because everything went on total lockdown. And at that time, we made a decision, okay, what are we going to do? We just sit here and wait for this to be over. And we don't know how long that's going to take. Those people may or may not come back, right? So right. we wanted our existing students at least to be able to keep up with the content so that when things got back to normal, normal, they would they would still have that invested feeling in what they were doing and want to come back. Um, and then we also figured, well, if we can capture a little bit of market share, that would also be interesting. Um, and so I think we did something that you do, which is we were very consistent. Um, we used to stream a lot. So we would we were streaming on average four to six classes a day. Whoa. That's and way it was more just consistent than me. It was just my teacher. You yeah. know, on camera and me working the equipment in the background. And then sometimes I do warm ups or I would teach some of the classes because, you know, it's pretty exhausting to teach all those classes without the energy you get back from having people physically in the room with you. Yeah. Um, but so we were able to take our channel with that kind of consistent approach uh, from three subscribers to now I want to say it's somewhere around 15, 1600 subscribers and we got monetized, you know, all of that. And that was really cool. But yeah, as someone who That's did awesome that, feat. yeah, as, as someone who did that, I will, I will tell you, I have absolute empathy for what it takes. You know, we've had that conversation like, okay, you know, if 80% of my people or higher aren't subscribers, but they tune in to a full one hour show, if half of them subscribed, I'd be all set. We'd right? be done. We'd be yeah. done, people. So let's go, people. Hit that button. Come on. Yeah, you can. You can. You don't even have to even pause the video to tap that exactly. subscribe button. You can. You can. You can. You won't miss a second, right? Yeah. It costs we'll to, nothing. We'll have to do an explainer video on TikTok to show people like how to actually hit that subscribe button to demystify the taps. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you can turn the notifications off, so it's not like every time I post a video, you don't have to get in your feed. Like I'm not that type of person. That's going to show up in your feed that way if you don't want me to. Now, if you want to say, why would you not want to? It was yeah, exactly. If you want to, like I've got, so, you know, some people that a video barely drops and they're already making comments on it. I love you, Dr. M. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, who you are. Yeah, that, that's beautiful, Lucien. So you you're already like doing the martial arts. You're yeah. you said you worked in construction, both union, non-union. I think your your take on that. We built a scrum and construction class together. Yes. At, for scrum making. That's the registered scrum master course that I teach uh, all the time. Yeah. Available 24 seven online. People check my bio link to get access to that. That nice. happened with lots of input. Lucienne and I spent hours and hours and hours together making yes. that course, refining it, and then making live versions of that, that we co-trained together. And I, I don't think any time we did that course, we ever had, you know, less than three countries represented. People were tuned yeah. in from around the globe. Yep. Yeah, it's good so, stuff. I think I think, you know, part of that is there's a real reason there's a real need for that. If you look at the technological changes that have happened in construction materials and and the way that, you know, just think about like um you know, precast concrete walls that get bolted to a steel structure versus a bunch of bricklayers working for a month. Right? How fast those walls go up now. So there've been all these you know, whether it's, you know, in sealants or whatever, there's all of this incredible advance in technology, technology for materials. And yet the way that we plan work doesn't really change. And I know yeah. you're involved very heavily in changing that process. I see a lot of the stuff that you've done. Um, it's awesome. And I, I, I think there's such an opportunity there in the design and constru construction space. You know, it's like, it's like, even just instituting a daily scrum with people, one thing, seeing the dramatic impact that can have. So you, 
I look at that and I, I look at the industry and how much room for improvement there is there. I say, wow, if we could get this whole industry to just one thing, see the that's, benefit of it yeah. and then do another, right? Like that's one of my first go-tos. Like when yeah. I, to go to teams and I just talked about this, I was live streaming on the cabin Q and a ask me anything with my friends yesterday. And uh, people said like, they're asking me about scrum because you know, I love it. Hello. Yeah. And I said in my new job where I'm working at the bolt company, I went almost 75 days and never brought it up. Now I did tell my boss behind the scenes, everything that you see me doing, all the accomplishments, all the ways that I engage, all the ways that I travel, all the way down to how I do my expense report. I'm using the Scrum framework through the whole thing. Yeah. And the biggest difference, like Lucien, you mentioned, you know, the biggest change thing is just those communication flows that you can get with a daily standup. Yeah. And that's a huge thing to improve communication. Most projects, as you know, communication is non-existent. A lot of people yeah. think that because we publish something once a month, and send it out to people, or we email people like, you know, like yeah. people, the average person in construction today receives somewhere between 50 to 150 emails per day yep. on the management side. Yes. And people in the field now are getting, they're getting like iPads and they're getting other, you know, touchpad devices or smartphones and people are just adding them to this communication chain, not realizing okay. or respecting that the way that they work is not going to allow them to be engaged in a device. And we still That's need right. to have the conversations with people. Well, Felipe, you, you, you just jogged a thought loose here in my brain, which is something I've been talking about recently. People, when I'm consulting in non-construction areas as well, um, because people always have this concern of like, well, what do you mean, you know, uh, what do you mean we don't want to follow a plan, right? They, they take things very literally. They're like, what do you mean we don't want to follow a plan? And, and the way that I explain it to those who are not in construction is I say, listen, I have this background in design and construction. And I can tell you whether it's a blueprint for a shed in your backyard or for a 60-story building, every blueprint has the same words on it. They all say field verify. <laughs> right. Yeah, now, why do we need to feel verified? The blueprint is the plan, right? Right. But we have to check the plan against reality because we know it rarely matches reality. Right. You get there. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to run my pipe this way. Oh, somebody put a steel beam there. It's not on the plan. Right. What do you do? Tell them to cut the thing out? No. But this is why field verify is on every blueprint. I love that, Lucien. That is going to be the clip. That's the that's the TikTok right there. <laughs> Editors, if you're listening, that gold that he just dropped, it's on every plan, field verify. So true that people want to, and there's also this like romance about having a plan that people yes. think like we're going to stay in the honeymoon stage forever. And they don't yeah. even realize like, did you even tell or share the plan in a meaningful way with the people doing it. Like, how are you onboarding people to this yes. plan? Oh, you ne we, we dug into it and you're like, oh, you never actually told people? Oh, it's in the cloud? Like people say- right, like, right. It's in. It went in an email? Yeah, they'll name right. some app and be like, it's in the app, didn't you get it? Like, right. no, that app is exactly like a file cabinet. I can see that there's a file cabinet in this new project's office, Sure. but how do I get in it? Like, what folder do I go to? Like, you put a file in a folder that's one of like a thousand folders. How do yes. I know that that's the folder I should be looking at like now before I got here? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, again, one of the strengths of Scrum. And I know there are many people doing um, a lot of really effective things. You know, there's tact and all of this other stuff that all has this thing in common of let's make it visible. Let's just make sure everybody can see what's happening as it's happening. And I think that's, that's really important. Super powerful. And I think, you know, you're, you're starting to tap on the transparency and I want to come and go really deep into transparency or we're talking yeah. at communication. But before we do, like the stories that you were talking about in the beginning with that, that financial company and like your experiences in construction, you know, that batch size is typically way too big. Yeah. And a lot of people like to plan in these massive batches, trying to maximize the resource efficiency I was even talking to an engineer recently and he said, yeah, I've got, you know, five engineers 
in my team. And he's like, it's my job as their project manager to keep them 100% at capacity every day, five days a week. And I said, I am so sorry that you've been <laughs> misled into thinking that that's success. As like, you're talking, right. and I even said, like, you're talking to me right now for 20 minutes. Are you going to work an extra 20 minutes later? Because this is a side conversation according to your plans for the week. Yeah. He's like, well, no. And I was like, well, is this conversation valuable? Yeah, but I don't agree with you. And I was like, I know you need to have the experience yourself. Right. I said, it's not going to make sense now, but think about later today. Like you didn't work on your plan or with your team for 20 minutes, but did you learn something that can change yes. how you, how you operate? Like you were saying in the beginning, like when that team went from that 14 month release plan to now sprinting in, in one week intervals and actually yes. showing and demonstrating real working product and interfaces for their team. I know without even asking you that you went exponential with that team's delivery. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was the goal, right? That's why we do things in a pilot. You know, let's start with one team or two teams. Let's start with a smaller effort. So it's not as huge a commitment for leadership to wrap their brain, brain around. They don't, oh my God, we're going to lose a ton of money with an experiment. No, let's try something small, get started and show that this can work in your organization, right? Because as we know, it's not one size fits all. It's what works for you. So let's make it work for you at a small scale before we ever consider you know, total transformation. Yeah. And total transformation people is inevitable. Once you let scrum seep into your four walls, it's going to spread. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and hopefully, hopefully, because we don't scale until we're doing scrum. Well, that's right. So that's, that's the idea. Yeah. That's right. I, that's one of the things I pride myself on too, Lucien is like baking sustainable change with people. Yes. Like, like in my mind, I know all the steps to have an, an awesome like scrum team. And, and if I could, I don't even want to like, just convince people that this is the way I like to show people like, Hey, what are you working on? Let's meet you where you are with problems you have. Absolutely. And just go from there. Let them pull for more. And yeah. I've only had a handful of people actually say, I want to know what you know. And then, you know, those people, we go really deep, but a lot of the other people don't have the capacity to be learning at that, you know, at that clip. Sure. to make those changes. But if when you help people like you do every day and they get a little bit of capacity, now they're hungry for learning. Yes. Now you can have those conversations and, and go deeper and deeper and, and continue. Yeah, I, I think, I think success is contagious, right? So is, so is losing, right? We get yeah. used to just getting beat up every day and having things not work out and people become acclimated to that. And next thing you know, that's acceptable. Right. You know, we ask these people, you know, are you okay with the fact that it takes, you know, 14 weeks for anyone to make a decision? Is that okay for you? That's the life you're living and that's what you want. And they're like, well, that's, that is what it is. So, and the thing is culturally that sets up this kind of expectation of, a, you know, a delay in decision-making. And what people do is they take on 45 projects because they say, well, I'm going to, you know, when this person tells me that I'm dependent on, because we have all of this kind of organizational debt, right? So when this person tells me that I'm depending on to move forward, tells me I can't move forward, I have to have something else. Otherwise I'm going to get caught standing still. Right. And you know, no, but when the boss comes around, no one wants to be standing still. Nobody. So, Everybody so, even says Lucia, they always say like, when yeah. you ask people just in casual conversation, like, how are you? They almost always are like, I'm so busy. Yes. You know, the same, you get the same answer when you ask how successful are you? People, people don't have a real sense of value because they're spending so much time worrying about whether or not they're busy. So they make themselves so busy that they don't have time to think about the value. Delivery. Absolutely correct. Yeah, let's go. Let's unpack that transparency a little more because yeah. I think, you know, a lot of stuff we're, we're, we're hitting on and people, if you want to learn more about batch size and tact T-A-K-T, like Lucian said, obviously in the show notes, click in the description. I will have the video for you that shows you the concept of what Lucian and I are talking about, how reducing batch size counterintuitively increases your throughput. You'll be able to be an exponential value deliverer as well. And we know, disclaimer, value is subjective. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, 
So here's the thing, right? Value is subjective except for to the CFO. The CFO, <laughs> there's no objectivity in value. Yes. Value is what did I spend and what did I get? Yep. That's it. Simple. Yeah. For the rest of us. Well, yeah. for the, you know, the rest of us live in a different world probably. But, yeah. but I think if we, I think we have to know our audience, right? right. So when you're talking about individuals at, at a team level who are actually working in the field, you know, what's value to them? It's probably not the dollars, right? Right. It's, it's how much did we get done? And did we have to go back and fix stuff? But, you know, the higher, the higher into the hierarchy of a business you get, the more they care less about those things, right? The more they care about what did we make? What did That's we amazing too, Lucian. You said that because I've, I've worked with project teams in the past and even currently, and there's a disconnect between what the organization thinks is important and what the yeah. individuals on the team think and feel is important based on their experiences. They're, they're almost never aligned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if the company is employee owned, publicly traded, privately held. Like that doesn't, it's not a factor. Like there's right. so much going on in the everyday of what people have to accomplish that there's not a lot of time for looking at, you know, is what I'm doing making a difference? Like where is the transparency to even see how their actions influence anything? Like sometimes these, yes. these daily actions are so delayed that they don't know for months or even years later. I was with an executive recently, Lucien, and a, they were talking about a job. We went to visit a job. And the job had that they, they were at the time, the director of that job had finished like two years ago. And they just found out today, two years later, that they made more profit than they thought on that job. Like it took that long to get the feedback. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we talked about that during the design and construction scrum master course, right? Um, this idea we had, uh, had actually someone from England, again, I don't want to people in that class, but we had someone from England who I, I had a lot of respect for what they had to say. Um, and they were talking about, you know, we never ask for feedback. Once the building is done and we sign off, we go to the next job. We never think about that building, but we should be getting feedback as we build it. And we yeah. build buildings people actually want to use. Yeah. And there, there's people that intentionally like try to keep the stakeholder in the construction industry, and I'm sure yeah. other industries, you know, people chime in in the comments if you're experiencing this in your world too. But there's people in the typically on the owner side that, with good intentions, try to limit the ability for the stakeholders to give feedback. Yes, because they're so worried about scope creep, and and it's how it's actually like not to their fault. It's how they're measured. Like sometimes they, there's an incentive for them, and an untransparent incentive, if you will. Yes. To not allow any changes. So you can totally build the wrong thing. Like I remember our friend from England, he's got a famous last name, but he, they're not related. <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> who it is. And uh, he, he was saying like, they went back as like part of some other research he was doing just to see like how they're doing as a company. And the people had nothing but hate for the building that they were working in. And this was an award-winning building. Yeah. So you could totally build the wrong thing to win awards, but right. that totally dishonors and disrespects the people that have to live and work in that, you, that space every day. So how, how are we making things more transparent, Lucian? Yeah, I think, you know, this is something that, um, this is, this is kind of, this is something that really resonates for me because I've seen how important it's right. Uh, scrum does not fix your problems, it shines a light on them. It's mm. up to you to have the will to fix those things. If we shine a light on those things and we say, look, we've just brought to light that you have this, this thing in your organization that is costing you money, is making people miserable and is affecting your ability to get to market faster. If you don't want to do anything about it, can't force you to do that. And on the other side, have people actually doing the work, being told, okay, we're going to try this new thing. And this new thing's going to be great because it's going to shine a light on everything. Everyone's going to have full transparency into what's going on. People start to get kind of nervous, right? Because, right. well, if, you, if, if you're going to make everything transparent, does that mean the boss is going to be watching me every minute of the day? Now, that happens right now, right? Some of the companies that I 
used to work for in the construction space, you know, they have an iPad that they send with the, with the super with, with a tripod that gets set up on the roof and it, the camera's on all day and they have drones that fly around and take a look and, you know, they're not just watching for the progress on the job. They're looking, okay, is everybody where they're at doing what they're supposed to do? That kind of transparency is fine if you're not using it in a punitive way, because what we want to do is be hard on process and easy on people. And if people see, you just mentioned, like, show me how you're measured, right? If people see that transparency is used as a sword against them, transparency dies, right? Because no matter what you want to do, you're not going to get the truth out of people when they feel like they're going to get punished for telling you the truth. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, I think, I think I like to always think of transparency and the visibility we get out of doing scrum as a shield for the team. And at first people have a hard time with it. They're like, well, how is this going to protect us that everybody can see everything? And the reality is if you want to make changes at an organizational level, at some point, you're going to need leadership to buy into it and be to, to get behind those changes or they're not going to happen in the first place. And if they do, they're not going to stick. Right. And leadership, as you mentioned, has different priorities than people do work. And so that visibility allows us to then have real data that we can show leadership to say, I know that you think everything is as good as it can be, but look, we have data because we made everything transparent and visible. You can see here are the places where you could improve your process, make life better for everybody. People don't have to work 90 hours a week and you're going to get more done. And so if you have real data, then it's not this emotional, you know, you guys are asking too much from us, but here's the place you can pull that lever. You can turn the knob that's going to make things more efficient for you and better for us. And that's win-win. Win-win. It's the way to go. And sometimes with those leaders, like I found where teams have said, like, we can't change anything. Like it's locked. Like this, these things can't change. And I always ask like, well, how do you know you can't change it? Have we ever asked? And just being like a child. And sometimes, I mean, I've been accused of being like a child or asking a lot of questions. And with some people, Lucy and I've had to say like, beware, I may ask a lot of questions and you can always tell me enough. You can always tell me enough and I'll, and I'll peel back but I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to keep, I'll go find somebody else who could answer the question because I'm here for a reason. Yes. You know, we do sometimes Lucien, we get called to help, you know, a teams go to a plus teams. Yes. That does happen. We go for the excellent teams and uh, you know, and sometimes you're working with teams that are, they're struggling and it's not through bad intentions or being lazy and things like that. Sometimes people just don't even know, like, how are we winning? Like, yes. what does winning look like? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I sure think, you've uh, seen, like, uh, you drop into organizations, like, people just, you know, at work, working, and they rarely ever work on how they work. Oh, absolutely. My my colleague and Frawley at Scrum Inc. Uh, likes to call it Coca-Cola rule. And the Coca-Cola rule, he was working for a, for a, um, a Wall Street investment firm, and... They had been told at one point by somebody 20 years ago, we don't invest in Coca-Cola. And this just became the mantra in-house. And so, you know, finally somebody said, well, why don't we invest in Coca-Cola? And no one knew. People don't even remember why anymore. They just get institutionalized to doing it that way. Right. And so why is incredibly important, right? Why are we doing things? And if we're, if we're, if we're not getting value of it, what are we going to do about it? Because none of this stuff happens by accident. Right. It's all intentional and deliberate. Yeah, the way people are working, if you're in a low transparency environment, that's by design. Absolutely. But the good news is, if you're listening to the show, you can take small steps to increase the transparency. And one of the easiest things you can do, because everybody already gets together, at some point during the week, your team is together, some at least majority of you, and you can be the little voice that says out loud, why are we focused on this now versus something else? Or why is this important? And if this is the important thing, should we deprioritize 
some other things and have a little bit of trade-off. Absolutely. I think if we find ourselves asking why and we can't come up with a good answer, that's a great sign that that's something we might want to change. We're working with this team. They're trying to button up a building and make it watertight and weathertight. And uh, there's just all this pressure from leadership, like everything's important, do everything at the same time. Yeah. And so they they put a scaffold around the entire building way ahead of having material to do anything with it. And it choked off their, their site work. And every day, there's so many different ways you can go. If you don't have a method in place to prioritize, which in Scrum we call it goal-setting people, using a goal, yes, that sir. helps you to say what's in this time. For, and you can say no and push stuff out. Like that yeah. ability to say no, like, have you, have you ever had any stories, Lucien, where you saw people like start to use the word no, where it wasn't common? I think that's something that we often will see. I think, first of all, this is one of the benefits of having a framework, right? Um, I'm obviously super partial to Scrum as a framework, oh, me too. but super. whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever <laughs> framework people use, you know, their mileage will vary, right? But <laughs> <laughs> that is so polite. Right? I love that. Yeah, but, I'm, gonna, know, I'm stealing that one, Lucien. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> right. So, but the thing is that having three roles where we have three specific sets of accountability, because previously what would happen is somebody in a position of power or influence, whether that person's a leader or wherever they reside they have a sphere of influence within a company and they come to somebody, they kind of circumvent the process and they come to somebody on the team level and say, Hey, I just need you to do this one thing. Oh, won't man. take you long. Right. It's insidious. It's, it's a death of a thousand cuts because pretty soon that person's not getting the things that they focused on as their goal with their team to get done. And everybody's looking around like, well, why didn't you get, well, yeah, but you don't know. I had like 14 things I had to do on the side. Right. <laughs> And, and so when we first start doing scrum with teams, what we really try to get across to people, it's okay. The product owner is accountable for prioritization. The scrum master is accountable for the team's performance and the team is accountable for the how, how are we going to get the, what that the product owner is setting out done. And so when we set that up, the scrum master is somebody who helps to serve the team by cutting off distractions and circumventing when people try to go around, they meet them, they block them and say, no, actually, uh, it's great. You want something done. All you have to do, we'd be happy. If it were up to me, we'd do it right now, but you have to have a conversation with our product owner because they are accountable prioritization of this team's work. So just have a conversation. I'm sure what you're saying is reasonable and it will make it on the back but it also empowers people at the team level to say the same thing. So they don't have to be the bad guy, right? It's not that it's not that they're saying no, they're just saying, talk to the product owner. And the product owner also has the ability to say, okay, I'm not gonna tell you no, I'm just gonna tell you not now, right? right? This is like when you have kids, no is like a final thing. No one likes to hear no, Yeah. but telling them, yeah, that, that may happen, but it's not gonna happen right now. We're not gonna throw our sprint into chaos so that you can get this really cool thing you thought up over the weekend implemented. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a friend. So I have a friend, uh, Jesse, and Jesse said he used to be this guy, and he gave himself this nickname, the Solutionator, because he would I just saw. come, like something would be happening in a construction team, and at the time he was like supervising a large group of plumbers, and he would just solutionate at them. And like, I know you're doing this, and you've planned this, but now you should do this because I think – with no context of what you're doing or planned, this is the way to go. And one of the guys that he worked with, his name's Noah. He said, yeah, that's true. And I hated Jesse during that time period until he became enlightened later as the solutionator. So that's a, that's a a nickname that nobody wants to be proud to have, but that kind of stuff is like, like you said, Lucien, like these people, they think of the things and the intentions are definitely good. And sure. a lot of times I'm sure the, the features, the requests, this, the, the shifting could be potentially beneficial, but I think we don't pause and plan and analyze 
like we learned scrum is built on lean concepts. Like let's yes. evaluate this. Let's do a second of analysis. And then that, you know, in scrum, we have that beautiful accountable role, the product owner to do that. And they can absolutely get input from the team and make yes. a decision on when is a better time to do this change. Right. Yep. It might absolutely. be now and it might not be. Right. Probably not now. Well, this is also why when people, you know, we always ask a question in class, um, you know, who can add to the product backlog and when can they add it, right? And the answer is anybody can add to the product backlog at any time. There is now, when, when we present this information now, we actually, we've added the following, which is with a conversation with the product owner. <laughs> because, <laughs> because just throwing stuff randomly into a backlog that the product owner hasn't approved or had a conversation around is a great way to send something to a list to die and never get done. Yeah. Right. Because that person who's accountable has no sense that it's even there necessarily. Oh, you're going to love this, Lucian. I was giving a scrum talk at a conference some years ago and uh, the company sponsoring the conference. It's like, this is a huge show. Like this is a big gigantic. If you're in construction, you know, the name of this company and they, they do some software as well. And one of the people came up to me after the presentation and they said, yeah, I'm actually a software developer and they encouraged us to come to this talk because it had to do with, you know, something that we thought was born in software, which it wasn't people. It wasn't, but they're, you know, check out other podcasts for the, the history of Scrum. Yes. And they said the way you described like how things get onto the backlog and the, like, like this list, they said, I, I don't think we're doing Scrum right. And I said, well, tell me more. And they said, like right now today, our team of eight people has a backlog that's over 3,000 items long. <laughs> and I said, yeah. I was like, somebody in your group doesn't know how to say no. And I yes. said, and when you've got 3,000 items, and they were not exaggerating. Like they had this software that tracks and it shows metrics and all this stuff. And all that did was demoralize this whole team. And that completely undermines their ability to do productive and good work because that burden yeah. of knowing that I've got 3000 things that I'm not addressing. Cause at that point you can just round to 3000 and say, there's 3000 things we're not doing every single week. That right. just, how makes does that people, make you feel? Yeah. It makes people feel horrible. Yeah. I mean, well, they not came to mention to me it, it shoulder slumped down. Yeah. Not to mention it gives you a potential of a six hour backlog refinement session just to, just to address what things are, not even yeah. to get them refined, just to say, well, what is this? I told him, I said, now, if that, I said in a follow-up, like, how long has this been the case? And they said the entire time they've worked there. And yeah. so they, they came to join. And I said, I was like, here's one thing you can do. Talk to the person that's most, because they didn't have a, a mature product owner and they definitely yeah. did not have a mature scrum implementation. I said, someone on your team is like the most responsible for those requests and getting stuff in that list. I said, I would advise you to have them start to just every day delete some things that are no longer relevant because the, the way that you, the product you guys have today is not the product it was even six months ago. Absolutely. Right. And I was like, yeah, just you, do that for a while. No, Felipe, my, my wife has a policy in our house. She hates clutter, right? <laughs> so she has a policy in our house. If there's something in the closet and I haven't worn it for a year, it's gone. There's wow. no conversation around it. It's just gone because she's like, if you, if you were going to make use of it, a year is plenty of time to have made use of it. So then you go, no, but I love that shirt. And yeah, but you don't wear it. <laughs> and so we shouldn't wait a year with backlog items because the relevance of my shirt, it may come back around, but the relevance <laughs> of, of yeah product backlog item that's a year old is probably zero that's right that's right i have like uh i, I did that exercise like it, actually jeff sutherland inspired me to think about my clothes and he didn't talk about this i saw some other uh genius talking about like why they wear the same outfit every day and you see a lot of this with people that are like you know very high-minded that can think and like and super creative type of people typically have like some type of what they call a uniform and Jeff always wears black shirts. Right. So yeah. 
I, when I saw this and I was like listening to the things that he comes up with and what he's got his mind on, he wastes no time picking his clothes out. Right. And that gives him like all this extra bandwidth. So like I'm wearing one of my, I'm wearing one of my branded EBFC show shirts. Dig it. Yeah. Which is easier, better, faster, cheaper. Hello people. This the whole, it's the whole reason Lucien's on. Cause he checks all those boxes for me. He knows how to make everybody's work easier, better, faster, and cheaper. And if you don't like the word cheaper, get a dictionary. It's not a bad thing when it's not low quality, right? It's less expensive, which is cha-ching more profitable for you and your team. And also side effects include being less frustrating. Hello. And so that I did. And, uh, I've got my uniform and people are always like, how many of those shirts do you have? I was like, well, of these, I have 12 and of these I have 24, but they're all, they're just variations of the same thing. Yeah. And I don't think about it. I just lift, grab, reach into the darkness and pull out the right shirt for the day. And still looking sharp. Exactly. <laughs> nice. I love that. So I want to, I want to jump back into organizational leadership. Yep. So you've been, you've been working. The first time I met you was already years ago. I can't believe how fast time flies. And, and since then you were pivoting into a moving into deeper organizational type transformation. I would love to hear from your perspective, what is like something that people just don't have right at the start for organizational leadership transformation? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things. I think one, uh, you know, everyone, I won't say everyone, many people are familiar with the idea of change management. I think when we start to introduce change management as a phrase, Again, people get very literal about things. Managers freak out. What do you mean you're going to change the managers? Like, am I losing my job? What's happening? Right. Right. Um, and and in fact, what we really are talking about is resistance management. Right? <laughs> oh, I did not see that coming. Yeah. So we're we are we are trying to manage the resistance that's going to happen when we try to change. And I think one of the things that I see a lot of organizations get wrong the communication and messaging around them, right? So we want to make a change. Everybody starts to panic, right? Because, hey, I've, I've been working here for X number of years. Everything's been going along fine. You know, we make a profit. Everything's fine, right? Yeah, I have to work, you know, I have to work nights and weekends and, you know, I'm totally burnt out, but that's just work, right? We don't expect to have fun at work. Um. And I think when companies want to start doing things in a different way, they don't necessarily understand how important it is to be really clear in the messaging of why you want to make those changes from the benefit organization's perspective, but also what's in it for the individual, right? And I often think about this, like if you get an email from a colleague inviting you to a meeting that says no detail about what the meeting's about. How likely are you to go? Right? If it's someone you're really close with, okay, yeah, I'm going to go and find out this is, you know, this is my buddy. I need to know what's going on. But in general, with, as you mentioned, all of those emails that you get, the request to go to all of these different events have to prioritize things. And so if you get, a, if you get an invite to a meeting that says, in this meeting, we're going to cover this and this. This is why it's important that you're, you have a much better chance of having show up. Right. And so the same is true when we want to implement change. If we want to change the way we do things, we have to explain to people, we want to change the way we're doing things because we need to be more competitive. Because by the time we realize we need to catch up, our competitors are gone and it's too late. Right. Right. Or we want to make these changes at an organizational level because we see that there's a lot of waste in our process. Nothing that's the fault of any of our individual people, but in the way that we're doing work, we're losing. Even if we make a profit, we could be making more of a profit. And if we make more of a profit, that's going to benefit you as well, right? Right. And then here's how this is going to benefit you as an individual as we run experiments to find out what the best way for us to organizational changes are. If you can't tell people what's in it for them, you can expect a lot of resistance. So I think communication is kind of 
the thing I see organizations get wrong the most frequently when talking about making organizational changes. The other thing I would say is that they don't, they don't see this as something that they need to do from an organizational perspective. Say, okay, Scrum is something that teams are doing, right? But again, if you don't have that will somewhere at a leadership level, and you've talked about this, don't wait for leadership, right? If you are an individual on a team, start now. And I wholeheartedly support that. I agree 100%. But as far as that turning into a larger movement within the organization, if leadership is just deaf, dumb, and blind to it, they don't want to hear, they don't want to make changes, then it's very hard for that to take to take hold, right? It might be something that you can implement now and you go, hey, we're able to make our life better. It doesn't even matter if the rest of the company does this. Okay, we're more efficient and we're happier. We're li living a more sustainable uh, life. We get to see our families and the work is still getting done. That's a win. Right. But at the organizational level, if leadership doesn't at some point get involved and get behind it, support it, then it's not like this. Absolutely true. I even heard a scrum talk on a, on a webinar and I can't remember who or what it was. And they were interviewing some executive that their company had undergone like a, a transformational effort. And, you know, one of the things in that type of interview, you start to hear the philosophy and the beliefs of like how those leaders think. And again, we talked about being misaligned on what's important to you. And this company had is more than a hundred people at this company and they were doing the scrum transformation in a rather short time, in less than nine months, the throughput of what they could get done more than doubled. And the leader thought, this is so great. I want more of this. And he's like thinking, you know, setting targets now for people to, to like double it again. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, and I'm leaving this webinar gone because yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear the, I didn't hear the person that was like in asking them the questions like, okay, you're, for forever in a day, your company was operating at this level. And right. now suddenly in less than nine months by implementing Scrum, you're operating here. And you're just thinking like, how can I get more out of them and squeeze like, is that the next yeah. thing? Like you fixed one problem with throughput. Yep. Now maybe you should focus on like, where do you wanna go as a company? Like what markets do you wanna serve? Like, can we get into other areas or other skills that our people have been asking, like, is there something that our people have been asking for for a long time that Absolutely. now we can do and give them? Like, if you're suddenly, if you're up here now, you're making twice as much in profit, right? Are you going to just take all that away? Or are you going to, some of that you should reinvest? I mean, yeah. be responsible. There's so many different things you could have done, but saying like, we're going to try to double it again. I was right. like, nope, I'm gone. And I, yeah. and I left. Well, you know, Felipe, I think this is one of the reasons why we now at Scrum Inc. have a registered agile leader at scale class for, or it is a course for leaders specifically, you know, as you undergo this transformation, what do you need to be conscious of? What do you need to make sure you're aware of so that you can head off problems? What do you need to do to be most effective as a leader? You know, sometimes that's also getting leaders to understand that, you know, like if our CEO concerned about the minute details of how work is getting done, that's a problem. Right. Because our CEO is getting paid the big dollars as they should. We're having a clear vision of where our company is going to go. We're navigating the minefield of the landscape of whatever business we're in. And yet so many leaders just want to hold on to that steering wheel with a death grip and not let go because they don't trust people to do the right thing. Right. Or they were really good as they were sure. growing their yeah, business. Also, and they were, right. Absolutely. They're a subject like, matter expert and that's where, that's how they got to where they are. And it's hard to kind of take off that subject matter expert hat and let people actually do it. Yeah. yeah. That's a beautiful story. Lucien. Lucien, thank you so very much for coming onto the show. You have not disappointed in the least bit. You've value has been delivered. 
Well, I'll say that a second time. Like you have delivered so much value. I've enjoyed talking. I can't believe how fast the time went. I can't believe it's already over. And I will say it's, uh, you know, anytime I get to have a conversation with you, it's uh, effortless and time flies. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.